0: Welcome to week three of 2018. I'm counting because I'm just trying to stay as new as possible. Hey, Jericho, welcome back. Hello. Jericho, Mandy Burr, Editorial Director at Girlboss.com, host of our new podcast, Self-Service, which you can listen to now on iTunes or anywhere podcasts are found, is here with me, and we want to talk about Skillshare. A lot of us are still thinking about our New Year's resolutions and... Maybe you—I don't know. I hope you're not, but you could already be giving up on the gym. Uh, I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to pick. That's my resolution. Don't pick my face. I'm a picker. Same. Um, but it doesn't mean that you can't make 2018 your best year yet. There's Every day is like a moment to restart. Um, so why not learn something new? Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, technology, and more. And whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or build your own business, Skillshare will keep you learning in 2018 and beyond. If you want to learn poetry after hearing today's conversation with Rupi Carr, just head over to Skillshare and sign up for their Poetry One class or Poetry by Design. There's even a class that teaches you how to write a poem in 10 minutes flat.
1: There's some really good writing courses on Skillshare.
0: And that's coming from an editorial director, guys. So... And just in time for the new year, Skillshare is offering Girl Boss Radio listeners a limited time offer of three months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. Yeah, you heard it right. Sign up. Go to Skillshare.com slash Girlboss 99. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Girlboss 99. That's S-K-I-L-L-S-H-A-R-E dot com slash Girlboss 99 to get three months of Skillshare for only 99 cents act now for this special New Year's offer, and start learning today. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long, we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions for side hustles and well being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girl Boss Media, and this is Girl Boss Radio. Rupi Kaur is a poet, artist, and performer. At just 25 years old, her works have taken the literary world by storm. Rupi was born in Punjab, India. At four years old, she emigrated with her parents to Canada, where her father worked as a truck driver and still does today. Always eager and interested in the arts, at 17, Rupi found herself at a local open mic night where she performed her first spoken word poem. She fell in love with performance poetry that night. In the years that followed, Ruby continued performing across Canada while building a community of readers and poetry enthusiasts who found her work initially on Tumblr.
2: It was funny because like most kids were, like, oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna party, I'm gonna do this cool thing, you know, and I'm not gonna study. But I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna study. I'm gonna write some poetry. Cool, you know, and like that was like my thing and. So I didn't really mean to grow an audience, but it started to slowly develop. And for me, it was about sharing and having conversation, and Tumblr was great for that.
0: Rupee wrote, illustrated, and self-published her first collection, Milk and Honey, while she was still in college.
2: I sat at my kitchen table, and I illustrated, and I wrote. Most of the poetry had actually already been written at that point. I was just compiling it all, but I was now doing the illustrations. I designed it. It took about a week, and... I was laser-focused on this thing.
0: In the years since, Milk and Honey has become an international phenomenon. It's sold over 2.5 million copies, been translated into more than 30 languages, and landed as a number one New York Times bestseller, where it continues to sit for the 80th week straight. Her new book, The Sun and Her Flowers, has also become a global bestseller.
2: It's not 100% autobiographical. A lot of it is taken... Also from, I guess, the experiences of the people around me, the people that I grew up with, the stories I listen to, the stories that I share. And it's a sort of like, almost like communal storytelling for me.
0: Rupi's ability to thoughtfully observe and connect women through her words has inspired readers around the world, and I'm so excited that she's joining us today. But first... I'm here with Jericho. We're going to do the Jericho segment. That's just what we call it. It's our uncreative title for the time when Jericho and I talk about the content on girlboss.com that we're loving and we know you're loving. So how have you been sleeping? Because I have not been sleeping well. Tell me about that. Well, it's weird. I was in Hawaii for the holidays and... They're only two hours behind L.A. time. So at 10 p.m. there, it's midnight here. And since I've come back, I'm up. I cannot, like, sleep before, like, 12 or 1 a.m. And it's really kind of messing with, like, I don't know. I just feel like I'm not as productive. And I also read that when there's a full moon your sleep can be really disrupted. And I remember the last full moon we had, I had a really hard time sleeping. And I've actually taken melatonin a few times this week. And I'm just not the person who needs to pop pills to go to sleep ever. Maybe Uh I'm just so excited about working that I really am excited about what we're doing that I just kind of want to, like, be... Keep thinking about it Oh, that Kind of keep thinking about it. And annoying people and texting them about it, like, really
1: late. But, yeah. (laughs) Well, you know what you could try? such a thing. Cherry juice, like tart cherry juice, is apparently a really good natural source of melatonin. Oh, wow. That's just one of five handy tips that we have in a story that's basically just, like, five things you can try for better sleep that's on the site right now. So, yeah, the cherry juice thing, apparently, like, there was a Louisiana State University study that said that... This group of people with insomnia had, like, wow. a, had like an average of, like, 84 more minutes sleep every night if they were drinking cherry juice
0: Wow! through the day. 84? Yeah. That's a lot. Does a Shirley Temple count? Sure. <laughs> Do you know what that is? Yeah. You have them in Australia? Oh, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I um, never want to assume. But then it's <laughs> offensive if you ask if someone knows
1: what something is. I don't know. I don't know. Assuming makes an ass out of you and me. Oh, um, yeah. That's what they say. Anyway, back to sleep. There's other things you can do. You can, like, pay attention to sleep cycles by basically sleeping, like, either seven and a half hours, nine hours, like, waking up at a 90-minute interval that relates to, like, the most wakeful um cycle that you have in, like, your sleep cycle. And there's apps, like, I, the one that I have on my phone is called Sleep Cycle. And if you set your alarm... You can give it, like, you know, a half an hour window period and it monitors, like, your your movements and, like, your, I don't know, your body <laughs> while you sleep. How and weak. How awake you are, yeah. yeah. And it'll, like, wake you up at that kind of more optimal time. Also, obviously, everyone wants to sleep in you know, on a Saturday morning, but apparently it's really bad for you. It makes you, like, super irritable. Makes you, like... Even more tired, even, like, less productive. Sleeping, it's called social jet lag, they sleeping say. Sleeping
0: too much can make you more tired, right? Yeah,
1: it does not help. Like, what would help more is, like, having a consistent time period that you sleep and, like, moving your body and that kind of thing is going to make you feel less tired, weirdly, than if you don't do anything and just sleep.
0: I've been thinking a lot about just rituals lately. Yeah. I think that something just as, like, a overarching theme I want to like explore as like you know the social media backlash happens and i don't know we're all in this like always on world like how can we use like the rituals or how can we create rituals that kind of ground us and i mean sleep is such a huge one it's like basically like what the ocean is to like the land like the like versus land mass is like what sleep is to like yeah. our waking life and it's it's still so there's still so little that's known about it in the same way that like it's like how deep is the ocean or what's yeah. in it uh Anyway, I'm really – I'm just going real deep here. It's so
1: important. It's everyone's favorite thing because it's the most important thing. And, like, you kind of – you get so in your head as, like, a human being that you forget that you're also just an animal and you need to rest your body and mind.
0: So, yeah. Cool. So I'm going to go have a Shirley Temple and take a nap. Same. And if you want to hear more of these great tips about how to take a nappy nap at night-night time, well – And drift off to sleepy land. Yeah, well, one, you could just listen to Jericho's podcast. That'll put you to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's meditation. And oh, my God, I loved your guided meditation. Anyway, I'm going to stop promoting. I'm such a like hoe for promotion. Go I, on. I'm sure you guys already agree if you listen to this show. But I don't take anything for granted. I. It's just because I like I'm still like trying to build my thing. thing you care so okay. much. Jericho, thank you. Thank
1: you for taking the time.
0: Before we get to Rupee, I do want to talk just a little bit about Stitch Fix. They had an amazing IPO not that long ago. Their founder, Katrina, is a badass. And whether you love it or hate it, there's no denying that you could be shopping better. I mean, you could spend all day at the mall with another goddamn striped t-shirt or scroll endlessly to leave everything in your cart, but now you can shop the productive way and end up with stuff you actually love thanks to Stitch Fix. No wonder they have a bazillion, literally over a billion dollar business. Whether you're looking to express your personal style, dress for the job you want, or just try something new, Stitch Fix can style you on
1: your time without leaving your house. And the style profile that you fill out online for Stitch Fix is honestly the funnest thing that you can do. It asks the most thorough questions about... The kind of stuff you like, the brands you like, the colors, the fits, the fabrics. It's honestly so amazing just to set up the profile.
0: And if you don't like what you get, sending everything back is super duper easy. They cover the shipping both ways for returns and there's no subscription required. You can get your fix monthly, quarterly, or whenever you feel like it. So they're super flexible. Get started right now at stitchfix.com girlboss, and you'll also get 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. That's stitchfix.com girlboss to try Stitch Fix today. S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot girlboss. Now, here's author, artist, and poet Rupi Carr a woman who has built a following of over 2.1 million followers on Instagram, but follows no one herself. I want to hear about your childhood. You grew up in Punjab, India. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your early life, and, and then you emigrated, right?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I spent only three and a half, close to four years there, and I grew up, it was nice, I mean, everybody always tells me I grew up amongst, like, so much love. And there's, like, the saying that, you know, when when you grow up in, like, a rural sort of village, what happens is, like, you're growing up... It's literally like a village race as a child. And so my mom is always like, your feet never touch the ground. There was always somebody, a grandfather, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, a neighbor, always scooping you up and, you know, feeding you and loving you and all those nice things. And so... Um, that was my earlier childhood. I mean, I didn't have to share, you know, my mom with any other sibling yet. Um, I later went on to have three other siblings. Uh, I grew up mostly around my mom's side of the family. My dad was a refugee, so he left. I never got to spend the first sort of three part, couple years of my life with him. And when I was born, like he wasn't there. And so when my dad like left India, uh, he, my mom left his side of the family and just went to live with her own parents. Usually what happens in an Indian household is when a man and a woman get married, the woman leaves her family and she lives with her in-laws. And so because my dad had gone, um, she went back and she was like, I'm just going to live with my parents, which is also like a really rebellious thing to do and not very common at all. But that's my mom. (laughs) And so then we were joined when he had gotten citizenship in Canada, I guess he'd gotten it for eventually four years and he got it for us as well. And so we joined him in Montreal. And I think that's where life was like the juxtaposition began. It's like, And I think that's when things sort of started to switch for me on the inside, growing up in a place where there were so many people around, where the weather was always warm, where there was so much love and so much rich color, all of that. And then suddenly you land in a place in the dead of winter and this person comes to greet you and you have no idea who this person is and you're a child and you're crying because you feel like you know you've left what you knew as a father aka your grandfather behind yet there's this entirely different man there and he's like no I'm your dad and you're like but you're not and so this sort of me and my dad started butting heads like right away and so that's yeah, that's been our relationship, and you know we've been working on it, and now we're able to have like just conversation and dialogue, more so um, than we used to. And, but and then when I was in Montreal, uh, my sister was born. Then we moved from Montreal to Toronto, and then my sister, another sister, was born, and I had a I had a younger brother as well. Your dad was a truck driver initially in Canada. He still is. Yeah. So he used to. Yeah. So he would, for a majority of my life, he actually did like long distance driving. And so he would drive across the continent from Montreal to Texas or California. And so he would be home maybe once a week. And so my mom was like raising us like a single mom almost, because he was around like a couple hours a week. And when he was around, he was, of course, so exhausted and so tired. And so he would be sleeping and my mom would be like shushing up the kids because, you know, dad's home and he's tired and he's exhausted. So y'all need to keep quiet so he can rest. And so um, he did that driving for about a good many years, I would say about at least 10-ish years, and then he switched to uh, going only for a couple days, so he'd be gone for about four days, and he'd come back for a day and be gone for another four days. Um, and now he he's still driving, but he's gone only for two days at a time. But it's still, like, it's still a lot, and what happens is, like, they miss so much, and whereas mom is always around, you know, but mom was like, even though she's a stay-at-home mom, like, this woman and I I'm, like, in awe of all that she's done. And there are days, you know, when she'll just be having one of her days and be like, wow, like, I accomplished... Absolutely! Like, what did I accomplish in these past like twenty five years? I didn't do anything. Like, I didn't even learn the language. I can't, you know, operate a phone. I can't even use the laptop. I can't do any of those things. Like, I'm and she calls herself stupid, and that always makes me cry. It actually inspired so much of my second book because I just look at her. I'm like, wow! Like, but you created not just. That you created us, but you created, like, to me, I'm like, you wrote these books. Like, you did that. Like, you have to take ownership and responsibility for that because if you were not doing the things you were doing, God knows where I would be right now because she was, like, holding down and managing a household and, doing like, dropping four kids off. Every hour she was in a car dropping somebody off to a different school, different lunches, all of the things, and, you know, a holding it down. And it's interesting because, like, before her every generation before her motherhood looked a different way you know you would raise your babies with your sisters around with your mother-in-law mother-in-law around with your there was so much help but there wasn't a rule book for how to do it all by yourself and so and she did it with such strength as well and so it's so interesting to see how all those things work and now you know as an adult i feel like I'm reflecting on that. And so much of like, you know, our teenage years are spent like fighting our parents and being like, oh, you hate me and you just want me to suffer. But now it's like I'm at the complete opposite end where, you know, I've seen what the sacrifices have done to them emotionally, mentally and physically. And I'm like just a crybaby all the time. Like, oh, how do I how do I give you everything now?
0: At just 25 years old, Rupi is a Forbes 30 under 30 and editor of the 2016 Mays Literary Anthology of New Writing from the Universities of Oxford and Cambridge and one of BBC's 100 Women of 2017. Now, what does it feel like to have your parents be, like, I'm proud of you? I think that's kind of underestimated, we, yeah. you know grow up you know trying to make our parents proud and then once you get into your 20s you're like whatever i'm an adult who cares about making our parents proud but then (laughs) when you do even if it's accidental to me it's it's been like whoa this is so cool
2: yeah i mean when it comes to they they're so proud like and it's so hilarious because we i and i don't not all indian people are like this so i can't speak for all of them but a lot of the ones that i know um my family and the families around me where i live like we are not we don't know how to especially between parents and children not very affectionate so my dad will never ever say and a lot of parents are like this even with, outside of my own community but um he's never been like, oh, good, or I like that, or I'm proud of you, or, like, he's never even been like, oh, we've never even said I love you to each other. We only, you know, but we'll never have that conversation, but I know he's so proud because what happens is I, when I'm home, I pull up at the grocery store, you know, I'm, like, buying my almond milk and all my, like, nice foods that he doesn't understand, and I get in line at the grocery store, and the nice lady's like, oh my god, like, how's it going? Like, your dad was here, and he was telling me about your book, and da-da-da-da-da, and I was like, okay like why do you know all this information and so then I go to the bank I know you know, and then the <laughs> all the tellers know everything about my life and it's so hilarious so I'm like I tell everyone I think he secretly walks around with a stash of my books or you know he'll come to me and be like yeah I went to the store this guy sold me a bed or a sofa anyways I like, told him about you and I'll sign this book so I can give it to him and that's it <laughs> It's funny when your parents start using you as like
0: a type of currency, yeah. even though it's just like their pride. But they also like know that like someone's gonna get really excited if they say that yeah. they're your parent. It's, so nice. it's like gets it can get like it can get a little awkward.
2: It's, so, it's so awkward sweet. because I'm like, Dad, this is your friends who are you know I don't know if they're gonna understand this or like no offense but they're like 50 year old indian uncles and they're gonna be like what is this woman on about this is insane (laughs) because like one of his friends um he gave him one of the books and he had like a conversation with my dad afterwards i don't know what he said to him but my dad came back and he was like you know uncle talk to me he said that you're extremely sensitive what does that mean And I was just like, don't talk to him. I don't know. This is just like, I'm like, this is why you don't go handing this around like it's just like a pamphlet. Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Is there anything you've ever written that's upset your parents? I don't know. I mean, not that they've said any, not that they've, you know, pointed it out specifically. So my parents are very interesting. So, like, even though my dad gets our On a conceptual level, I guess. Whereas my mom, because she's so afraid of what my dad might think, is just like, "Oh no! Like we can't write about that, or we can't, you know, we can't, we shouldn't do that." Like what will, what will your dad think? So when I first showed her Milk and Honey, for some reason the book always opens up to like page number eleven, and it's this illustration of a woman with her, well, it's like a line illustration, so it's not too graphic, but it's just. You see that her legs are sort of spread open and the poem is, like, right in her crotch. And my mom looked at me and she was, like, Mm -hmm. in a very nice tone because she knows I don't respond to authority very well. And she was like, you know, was it – do you think the drawing was necessary And I was like, (laughs) excuse me? Of course it was. And so, like, that's how she is. And, you know, like, growing up, whenever I'd have, like, illustrations of, like, nude women or anything like that, she would come into my room, I kid you not, every single day. And she would turn them around because she was like, oh, no, this is bad. Like, your dad will see it. And my dad would be like, well, like, I don't really care. And I mean, I get it. You know, my dad's never had to as... The man in that world, like he's never had to grow up, you know, thinking, you know, what will what will so and so think he doesn't have to navigate the world in that way, whereas my mom has to manage all of these relationships and think about all these things. But um, they came around. I think it was actually when the book was published, did they actually understand or that's when things switch like early on for like the first like seven years when I'd be, you know, performing and traveling to perform they just wouldn't get it. Like, 90% of the time, I'd have to lie. So I'd be like, oh, yeah, like, I'm going to study. And then I would end up at, like, an open mic night or something, and I'd be performing. Because usually if I'm, like, trying to communicate and be like, oh, I'm going to this performance about this, like, great event, and we're bringing awareness to this social cause, my dad would be like. There was, like, two things. A, he'd be like, but actually 25 out of hours out of your day 8 days a week you should only be focused on studying and become the most genius human being and you know get a stable job and that is all so any time we weren't doing anything other than studying of course he was upset and then second of all you know he was a refugee and he was living and that all happened because you know he was He was an activist and he was, you know, fighting for social rights and human rights. And so he had his life completely flipped because of that. And then seeing then me fight for these things and care about these things almost like brought that fear back up in him. And he would be like, no, like, what are you doing? Like, we already tried these things and they failed. Stop wasting your time. And so there was like both of those things. And but when the book was published and I kind of dropped it, like I handed it to him and they had no idea that I was publishing it or any of that. Everything just flipped like complete like this script just flipped completely. And it was like, how do we help and how do we magnify this? So that was amazing. While
0: studying at the University of Waterloo, Rupi wrote, illustrated, and self-published her first collection, Milk and Honey. In the years since, Milk and Honey has sold over two and a half million copies and landed as a number one New York Times bestseller, where it continues to sit for the
2: 80th week straight. The first memory I have of doing anything artistic was not when we lived in Montreal, but we moved to the city of Hamilton. I was five years old, I think, at the time. And we lived in an apartment building, and there was a we became friends, or my parents became friends with um, a couple upstairs who were in their like 70s. And they would, I didn't have, I only had like my baby sister at the time, but of course she wasn't playing with me. And so the auntie and the uncle from upstairs would come down and they would, you know, spend time with me. And I remember they would pull the auntie would bring down her Indian suits and there was always like sequins and beads on them and then she would pick them off and she would get glue and a piece of paper and what we would do is we would make like elaborate like elephants and tigers and animals and like portraits and we would decorate them with these sequins and these beads and that eventually evolved into like you know my mom helping me draw and that's so that's where it all sort of began and I always use visual art for me was like drawing and painting and all that was how I sort of, it was my therapy. And so it was something I've been doing since I was a kid and something that, you know, I focused on throughout high school. But I mean, I didn't, I only saw it ever as a hobby. And then, so when it came to career stuff, there was a majority of the time, like, I wanted to either be a psychologist or like a human rights lawyer. And, that's what I was going towards until, you know, I also fell in love with fashion suddenly. And so for like three years of high school, I just like dropped sciences and I dropped math and I was focused full time on just like making gowns and preparing my fashion portfolio. And I was actually going to apply to fashion school until of course, dad was like, are you kidding me? You'll fail miserably. Hmm. And so then I was like, damn it, like, you must be right. I will fail. And then instead I applied to the University of Waterloo and my friend called me up and he was like, yeah, like you should apply to this school. Um, You know, it's far away from home and you could also do co-op. And so that'll help you pay for school as well because you do like five terms and it's like fully paid, no like free internships or nothing. And so I was like, okay, cool. So then I started this economics and arts degree a year into it I dropped the economics part I went straight into rhetoric studies and it was the best decision because it prepared me I think for everything that I do today and so I studied like visual design visual rhetoric um Everything from print media to print design and all of the jobs that I had throughout school, you know, whether it was illustrating for a company or putting like pamphlets together on InDesign, all prepared me to sort of self-publish a book. Um, And the first time I sort of hit the stage to perform was when I was 17 years old. It was like grade 12. And I performed all throughout university. But um, it was really in 2013 or 2012, actually that I was, like, taking the poetry really, really seriously, and suddenly I stopped focusing on the art. And I felt really guilty about that, because I felt like I was cheating on my first love because I'd found a partner who was now suddenly like sexier and louder because poetry and performances like that you know you get on the stage and you know you hear your voice booming throughout an audience and it's like instant gratification cuz this audience is there and all these eyes and they're looking up at you and they're listening versus when i was doing the visual art thing and you know i'd be at an exhibit and I would not be, you know, speaking very much and my art was doing the talking for me and it was just on a wall. So I did feel very guilty that I'd kind of let that go and so I asked myself, and it was in 2013, I was like, how do I now marry these two things? You know, is is there a way that I don't have to leave one of them behind? Can I use them to, you know, push one another further? And that's when the sort of illustration, like digital illustration look was developed and that's what I began to share. So when you started
0: posting your poetry online, it was initially on Tumblr, did you incorporate your illustrations on that? And I also read that you did it anonymously. Why did you do it anonymously?
2: I did it anonymously for a couple of years, from twenty eleven to twenty thirteen, I believe. I don't know. It wasn't even like an I like it wasn't even a conversation for me. It was like Why would I ever put my name on my art, you know? And so I was sharing. um, Before it became digital, if if you actually look, but now it's been deleted. But now as I go back through my older posts on that original blog, a lot of this poetry and the illustration, I was already doing the pairing, but it was just by hand. And so it's interesting when you look back to see over the years how this thing developed. Um, But when I began to share this more digital look that, most people recognize me for today, Um, that's when I was, like, I approached my best friend who lived with me at the time in college, and I was, like, hey, like, you know, I have this, like, poem, and it's about, like, this woman who's in this, like, domestic relationship that's very violent. I don't know, like, I kind of want to share, it. what do you think, and should I put my name on it? And she was, like, yeah, like, I think it's great. Of course you should put your name on it, because I think it's important for people to see, you know, like how you look because that says so much uh, about why you're writing about why you're about what you're writing about because you know domestic abuse was and is like so rampant in my community and so you know she kind of made that decision for me and so then I created a new blog and this one did have my name and for a couple months and, There were no illustrations. uh, But when the idea of the illustrations did come up, you better believe I deleted every single post because I'm like that. And I (laughs) redid them all with the illustrations. And then I released them again.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how we kind of how we can really be embarrassed of the person that we used to be sometimes. And over time, like realize that that's that like that person was okay, even though that's not who we are today. And most people understand that,
2: but... But you had to be that person to become this one. Yeah.
0: So is that where you started growing your initial audience? Did you mean to grow an audience by by doing that? And at what point did you move over to Instagram?
2: I didn't really mean to grow an audience. I feel like at that point, like writing was just like saving me and it was giving me a voice and a voice that I feel like I didn't have like ever growing up you know and so it was like and I know this sounds a little bit funny but I became like so hooked onto it and I was doing it every single day and it was funny because like most kids were like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna party, I'm gonna do this cool thing, you know? And I'm not gonna study, but I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna study, I'm gonna write some poetry. Cool, you know? And like, that was like my thing. And so I didn't really mean to grow an audience, but it started to slowly develop. And for me, it was about sharing and having conversation, and Tumblr was great for that.
0: Rupi took her writing to Instagram in 2014 and began adding simple illustrations. All of her work is written exclusively in lowercase, and the only punctuation
2: used is the period. I love, like, making things look nice and making... For me, like, that sort of, like when I get something, like, packaging is so important, you know? And so all these desires that I have for how things look and how things should be, like, decorated and how things should be presented, I couldn't do that on Tumblr. I just feel like I didn't have the tools for it, or that just wasn't, for some reason, the right platform. Because I was designing everything on Illustrator, you know? And I was making things look a certain way and feel in a particular way. But I couldn't fully express that on Tumblr, and so I switched to Instagram at the end of 2013 when I realized that, like, you know, this is a platform where I can fully decide how I sort of want things to look. And it was because of that desire because I could sort of create a whole like visual universe that I enjoyed looking at and that was appealing to me that I switched over. And I mean, the only people following me were like a, it's like 114 of my like closest family, friends, and acquaintances. And they were kind of in the beginning like, what is this? Like, what are you doing? Because a lot of people weren't really posting like poetry on Instagram at that time. And so it was like a little bit, it was a little bit confusing, but you know what it did? It was like, it started conversation, and so many women were suddenly reaching out and having dialogue, and I was having dialogue back in, like, the comments section, and it just slowly, slowly, slowly just started to grow since then.
0: Rupee's poetry is a mirror reflecting complex feelings and emotions. She continues artistic exploration through art and poetry, searching for ways to understand and articulate. We'll be back with more from my conversation with Rupi in a minute. But first, let's talk about ShipStation. Ah, oh, ShipStation. ShipStation has been probably, like, the longest time supporter of Girlboss Radio ever. And there's a reason. It's because their ads perform, honestly. And it means that our audience is using ShipStation. When we talk about ShipStation, it. There's real value, like created from sharing what ShipStation does. Uh, we have so many entrepreneurs listening to Girl Boss Radio who have to figure out how to ship their wares, and it's never been easier than with ShipStation to, to to ship what you sell online. It's the fast and easy way to manage and ship your orders. They integrate with Shopify, Squarespace, Etsy, BigCommerce, WooCommerce, and all these other. Popular selling channels and they bring all your orders into one simple interface, making them super duper easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. And you can use ShipStation to create labels from all the top carriers, including UPS, FedEx, USPS. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. I know, right? Right now, try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free. Only if you use our extra, super-duper-exclusive promo code GIRLBOSS. Don't wait. Go to ShipStation.com. And before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in GIRLBOSS. It's that simple. ShipStation.com, S-H-I-P, as in poop, S-T-A-T-I-O-N.com, enter GIRLBOSS. ShipStation. Make ship
1: happen.